That is our scripture. It's going to be a two-parter. If you feel judged, don't come back next week. You get the, you get the pun there? But we're going to deal with uh, the log and speck and pearls before swine and different things next week because there's some, Jesus is actually being funny. Not many people teach it that way, so hopefully I teach it right. He's a bit of a comedian there, and we'll get to that next week. But we'll talk about the first two verses in, hopefully extensively today. And today's a heart sermon. Um, it's going to deal with the human heart the way Jesus prescribed it to be dealt with. So if you don't have a seatbelt on, buckle up, and let's pray that Jesus would speak to our hearts about this notion of judgment and mercy. But quickly, 17 years ago, I said I do, and she for some reason said yes. So happy anniversary. But then on our second anniversary, we woke to the horrific news of 9-11. No cell phones really back then. They were weird. No smartphones, just TV. And I was working as a paramedic at the time, so I was vested in, you know, civil service and all that good stuff, and it's a great career. Um, And if we haven't noticed, some of you younger folks probably don't notice, but us who have lived, that day not only was horrific and over 3,000 people died, it has sparked much of what's happening in the Middle East per se today. Lots of different things. I'm not going to get into it politically or geopolitically. Come have coffee. I'll listen and talk to you all day. But what I want to do is pray for our country and for our world and recognize that we need God's mercy because human beings, me, you, the other people around the world, we don't get it, amen? Because the bloodshed continues. So let's pray, let's address that, let's, let's ask God to give us ears to hear and it's in God's grace I think that the judgment passage comes on the 9-11 anniversary. You see, what, you see what God did there? Or maybe I did in the calendar? Judgment. Because lots of judgments are placed every day. And in some way, we must make decisions. We'll talk about that next week. But today, we're going to talk about judgment. Let's pray. Father, we do pray for our country and our world. We pray for this election cycle. We pray for all the things happening in the Middle East and beyond. We pray for the families affected 15 years ago, where many people kissed their loved ones off to work and didn't return. I pray that you would continue to work in the tragedy that was. I pray that you would protect our servicemen and women around the globe and keep them safe. Let them be ministers of mercy, agents of grace as they go to dangerous places. Help us serve well. We thank you for this country. We thank you for the freedom to worship without fear. We thank you for the grace to live not bound by law or man, but to love boldly in this country and help us do that. And as we talk about this really disturbing passage that Debbie just read, help me teach the truth and teach what Jesus has and has to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage, Matthew 7, 1 and 1 through 6, is why the Bible is hard to read. The Bible is hard to read. Do you understand that? When someone who doesn't believe in the Bible says, that book is crazy and weird, don't always disagree. Matthew 7, 1. Do we have it? That seems pretty easy. But this is the hard part, because the cross was given so I could be forgiven. There was, in theological terms, a transaction paid, my debt put on Christ, Christ's forgiveness and righteousness placed on me by his blood. Paul, Peter, the Old Testament attests to that. It's very scientific and legal and forensic in its nature, but it is called 
salvation, atonement. There's all these theories. Yes. But then Matthew 7, 2 pops up. Read that verse. Because the danger is, here's the danger. I understand the cross. I understand God's blood was given and paid for my soul. I can do whatever I want, and especially judge people. That's what we do. That's what I do. I'm a recovering judger. Because I know the theories of atonement and what happened at Calvary. And I believe them. Because they're right. But then Jesus, before he went to the cross, told his disciples, I'm going to say this for about first, the first time now for about the 20th time. If you are a disciple, you will never be an expert in Jesus. Remember that if you hear nothing else today. Who wants to be a disciple of Christ? I do. I'm trying to lead disciples. We're trying to make disciples. The very definition of disciple means you will never be an expert here. Ever think about that? I'm always pursuing the expert and the master, and a good disciple listens to what the master says and go, I'm going to do that because he knows more than me. So Matthew 7, 2 pops up. What does this verse mean? I hear from a lot of Christians what it doesn't mean. I'm tired of that. Be careful, church, to always know what the verses don't mean. Because we get bogged down in what they do mean. Because there are certain movements and certain types of Christianity which take one or two verses, spin them completely out of control, and I can tell you over coffee, yeah, that's not what that means. But what does this mean? For with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. I'm going to tell you what that means, exactly what it says. And the atonement and God's sacrifice is 100% true. This is the mystery of God and his kingdom. If you're going to lean on theory and transaction and propitiation and substitutionary atonement, that's great. That's a wonderful. Live on it. It has bones. I could show a million Bible verses where it's true, but I also am smart enough to know that if you claim to believe all that, yet walk around judging everything, you don't understand either. I don't care how many degrees you or I have. That's where the heart issue, right? Because Jesus clearly says, and it clearly means, whatever judgment you pronounce on others, we'll get there, especially pertaining to spiritual matters, it's coming back full circle to you, Dave. That's what it means. It doesn't mean anything else. And don't buy, you know, the latest fad book. Go back to the church fathers. Go back to the early church and try to figure out what they were getting at. What have we been working on in the Sermon on the Mount? Mercy. The whole thing is about forgiveness and what? Mercy. Mercy has come. The pardon of God is teaching us. The mercy of God is Jesus Christ. He's teaching us about God's kingdom. Now this is hard because we make judgments every day. I make hundreds of them. By the way, if you are in it with a non-believer, someone who's not believing, professing faith, they will often bring up this passage because they know it. Oh, 
You ever been there? You're like, oh! Ah! And my point is, even though we don't want to really admit it, their interpretation is probably pretty correct. But they don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe in Jesus. But what I'm getting at, this first part, is Jesus, that's what he meant. (laughs) Hard, right? It's a heart issue. It it reorients, or it's trying to reorientate our heart to be transformed more into the likeness of Jesus. If you're feeling the tension, that's where I've been all week in my office. The tension, it's hard, right? Why do non-Christians or why do people who have different, a different set of beliefs quote this to us? Why would they quote this? Because they are feeling what? Judged. <laughs> who likes to feel judged? There's medication and prayer for you later. We'll talk about it that way, okay? It's the worst. And you guys know what I mean by feeling judged? When someone makes a generalized observation and forms an opinion based on you or what you do or what you look like or what sort of lifestyle you adhere to. And again, if people outside the church, outside the faith are speaking this language to us, pause and take into account, is that what Matthew 7, 1 and 2 mean. And this is the tension, this is the problem. We want to make disciples. We had a youth group last Tuesday night. We had 11 kids up there running around. 10 of them are non-church families and I don't know, but that's who we want, right? We want to make them into disciples. We don't want to make them little first Baptians. We want to make them disciples of Jesus. But as they come and as they learn how to pray, and as they interact with the scriptures, and as they meet Jesus, and as they start to walk with him and build faith in him, and as they're received into the kingdom by grace alone, here's the temptation for them. I'm getting pretty good at Jesus. I know a little bit about him. He probably died between 32 and 34. He was probably born 4 to 5 B.C., whatever you, you go there timeline. He had some half-brothers, he was thoroughly Jewish. He was 100% God and 100% man. And the little guys start to feel a little accomplished, right? So the temptation is, is as they grow in their religion, the R word, you're religious by the way, so am I. You know what religion means? A set of beliefs and a way of practicing worship to God. So we're somewhat religious, so is Jesus, it's all good. But as they're Knowledge of their religion grows, they start to get puffed up, right? And they have the temptation, junior hires, not you, you would never do that, you're far too, I would never do that either, because I'm far too mature. But as we grow, and as we get more serious, or more knowledgeable, what do we do? We start with the church. Those Christians don't really know how to worship right. And that pastor, no way, he's too light. Or he's too funny. Or he should do more time studying. And then after we're done with the church, we go to the outside world and we go what? Hog wild. But back to my statement, if we are disciples, we never graduate to being experts. And that's the tension. Who is qualified to be the judge ultimately with 
Quick story, reset the clock. We used to go on the, on the airplanes to SFO, you know, someone would have a heart attack or feel faint, they'd divert the plane. I'd show up as the paramedic, two years of school, pretty smart, that's it, some drugs that could kill you, that's what i come around with, right? Usually, there'd be a doctor or a medical person on the plane, and they would be like a podiatrist, or I used to be a EMT in 1972, and I volunteered for the volunteer fire department, and you're like, thank you, but you really don't know anything, that's the judgment, I, great, pastor's judging people. But this time, it was chest pain, and this older gentleman, very nice looking, walks up to me and starts to go bam, 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 bam. I'm like, well, he Googled, that's nice, but I'm already passing judgment on him, and it's this and this and this and this, his ST is elevated, we need to do labs and this. I'm like, okay, now he at least works in the medical field. And I go, sir, can I get your name? And it was like Thomas Bourne, Chief Cardiothoracic Surgeon, Miami-Dade Hospital. Yes, sir. But the point was, he was the expert able to judge and discern. I was a donkey compared to him. So we have to keep that in mind. People who can judge and discern need to be the expert, not the disciple, not the learner. That's what Jesus is saying. And who's the expert of all spirituality? God and his son, Jesus Christ. He is the judge, but he's commissioned us not to, per se, I can see some of you already going, oh, because some of us might have to relearn what we thought about our expert, right? Now, I mentioned the serious part. That can happen. Junior hires, Christians. It's a real danger when we think too highly of ourselves pertaining to other religions and morality in general. That's a sound back there because it's quiet out here, right? We have learned about God. We are walking with him. His spirit dwells within us. We know that divorce is not the best. We, he taught us that. Again, the underlying theme in there was men don't treat women like dogs. But we know that. We know that a lustful way of living, not just sexually, but trying to grab everything and conquer people and objectify people and raise ourselves, that is dangerous. We know that. So we can get very serious about that. And the temptation is stronger when it comes to our culture, religion, and politics. There's a great temptation to be the expert in all those things. Don't. You know what Jesus is getting at? And the pastor said it. You ever been somewhere and you kind of just meet people and someone throws out the bomb? What do you think about the election? And you just meet people and they know I'm a pastor. I've learned in grace enough to go, don't really have an opinion either way on it real strongly. Now in the proper circles, yeah. When we know people, yeah. But the point is, you in your faith, Jesus gives you the grace to go, not going to take debate, not going to check in right now. I'm going to wait. I do that now because I can't help myself, folks. I will judge better than any of you in this room. And I'm quick on my feet, and my vocabulary is a little better than most, and I have a, almost a photographic memory at times, so I can win a lot of arguments. I can but the problem is, 
I am not obeying my expert, and I'm not being a disciple. I am walking outside of my role. I used to work at a, a shelter and a recovery program. You know what we said to the guys? Stay in your own lane. When I place on expert hat, I take myself out of the lane I'm supposed to be, the walk of peace, following Jesus, dealing with things, offering mercy, offering grace, and I become a judge in the Rio Olympics. How many of you guys like the Olympics? How many of you guys like the diving? How many of you guys waiting like, what are they going to get? And the Chinese and the Russians always do well, and the American, no, sorry, that's geopolitical. But there's corruption everywhere, that's all I'm going to say, right? The Chinese divers were the best ones I've ever seen this year. You see one of those guys? It was like 33 feet, and he went in, and it was like a pebble going in the water. 10, 10, 10. But the problem is when we go overboard, and when we don't stay in our own lane, this is what we do. John, can you say a quick prayer? Say a quick prayer. Quick, real quick, go. Say a prayer. Go. God help us, amen? Well, John tried, but... He wasn't reverent enough. He didn't close his eyes, but you were close. Let's hear it for John, everybody. Let's hear it for John. Well done, John. Look, I'm out of my lane, and when Dave's out of his lane, all Hades can break loose. I won't say the other word, right? All right, here we go. Just uh, teach me something about God real quick. Go, go, woo, go. God, he loves us. Well, I got, I, got a, I got some extra motivation, so I'm a little corrupt, too. That was the best thing I've ever heard. That was good. Seven. Well done. All right, uh, Michael Hellenius, I know you're rich. Tell me how much you're worth. Just make up a number. This is the real problem. 1.4 billion? Let's hear from Mikey. Mikey, good job. And this is what we do in the church. Mikey, he's a heathen. He's beaten his wife. He's not. But he's worth 1.4 billion. Guess what? He gets the best score. Let's hear it for Mikey. Good job. Well done. Well done. Yeah, right. Move him up front. Good seat. But this is what we do. And I'm going to get real comical next week about the log and the speck because Jesus wants us to see it that way. It's a bit of a comedy when we act like this. And this is the worst. Josh? Your running back's doing very good, so you're going to get this one in our fantasy football league. Tell me something about junior high ministry. You're wrong. <laughs> By the way, this is worse than a zero when we do this to people. When we marginalize, it's better to not even act like they're there for their own spiritual well-being. Good job, Josh. All right? So I say that to say, what Jesus is saying is stay in your own lane as a disciple. Do not brandish yourself as expert and pursue and follow me. There are people in the Bible who didn't stay in their own lane. There are people in the Bible who stood and graded everyone, not only in spiritual things but in life. And there's a name for these people, and it starts with a P, and you guys know it. They are Pharisees. That was their MO. This is what they did. Some of them were paid, most of them were not, and they began to place judgment on all people, especially the Jewish people, their own people. Jesus is refuting this type of 
religion in a very clever way, and you'll see it next week when we get the log and the spec going. I'm trying to make a log, so if you're handy, come talk to me, right? All this to say this. When we judge people, what do we do in our hearts? We look at someone, whether it's religion, politically, lifestyle, and we go, they're bad and I'm not. It's normally what we do. You can be honest in church, right? They're bad, I'm not. <laughs> Jesus never in the New Testament clarifies people into bad and good. Never. Go search. He talks about all people being fallen and evil. Amen, right? <laughs> yeah, I got problems. He talks about people missing God's standard. That's one of the reasons he's here. But you know how he does classify people over and over and over again? The proud and the humble. Woo! That's what he does over and over again. Luke 18, the publican and the Pharisee, a parable. Remember, going up to the synagogue, the Pharisee was very proud and he said, I'm glad I'm not like that sinner. I do everything for you, God. And the sinner in the corner who's a tax collector, a traitor, we'll get there in a sec, we'll get a little cultural on us, leave with that. The traitor says, give mercy to me, God. And Jesus says, the man who asked for mercy was justified or right in God's sight as they walked down the mountain. So Jesus classifies people over and over again as proud or humble. And here's the biblical problem with pride. When we live out of our lane, puffed up, as experts with spiritual pride, we, we have a very hard time seeing Jesus work, the true Jesus. Now, of course, we see the Jesus we've made up in our mind work for us, right? Most of that is Christian-dum or imperialistic Christianity. Go back throughout history and look what that looks like. But when we walk humbly, when we're freed by the gospel to go, I'm going to stay in my own lane on this one. I'm going to give someone the benefit of the doubt. I don't know the whole what? Story. That's the truth, right? You don't, and I don't know the whole story. We know that. I'm going to extend mercy because I remember Matthew 7, 2. I don't know about you guys. You're much better. I want mercy in this life and the next. Because you know what this says? You're going to reap what you sow here, for sure here, and we can talk about atonement, and once you're saved, you're saved, and God's blood covers all the sin, we get into all that. But real quickly, thinking about this, think of the most unhappy person you know. If it's me, we'll work on it. I would take a quick poll. I'll bet you if we were honest, writing it honestly, you would say, you, writing down, Half of them would be the most judgmental people you know, too. That's reaping and sowing. That's Jesus' words coming to life. This isn't just about heaven and hell. This is about now. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is now. The kingdom is being ushered in. It's not a ticket to a divine place. Heaven's real. We'll talk about that, too. But it is the path of peace which ushers in the alternative kingdom. Empires are going to be here until this place goes. You get that? They're just going to change. But there's an alternative empire 
one of peace and mercy and grace and pardon of God to be walked out. And when we walk with Christ, we are not to be unhappy and judgmental. We are to speak life. And then, actually, this is weird, too, because I was taught, not taught this growing up. God actually wants you to enjoy this life, too. Ooh. Weird saying that in church. God is a good, good father. God does bless us. God wants us to speak life and peace and not walk around like, did you see what Carol was wearing? You look beautiful, Carol. Did you see what Carol was wearing? Oh my gosh, put her on the prayer chain. No, God doesn't want that. That's not what the kingdom is about. And some of you are grumbling. What about the Sermon on the Mount? Go and preach and teach and baptize. Amen. What were they to go and preach and teach? Primarily the Sermon on the Mount and things like that with all the other apostles coming together. What was the Sermon on the Mount primarily about? I'm here to preach and teach about the forgiveness and mercy of God. And I want to baptize you into his great love. And all the rest we'll work at. Real quick, Paul, I love Paul. Sometimes he's a bit much to take, but I love him. Paul was dealing with, in this church, Corinth, a really weird city, he was dealing with a son-in-law having an affair with his mother-in-law. Yeah. That's not good anywhere, but especially the church, right? And so some things were happening. The church was young. They were freaking out. And Paul writes this. Can you go to me? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I didn't give it to you. Pastor's bad. We'll start in verse 12. Paul is dealing with church business. And he says this. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Uh-oh. The first 25 years of my Christianity just crumbled in one verse. Anybody been there? Is it not those inside the church you are to judge? Yes. But Dave, don't judge anybody. Okay, we'll get there as we wrap up. Next verse. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. His instructions to the church was, the guy who was sleeping with his mother-in-law, remove him. He writes later, Satan has dealt with him. Basically, the, he's reaped what he sowed. Welcome him with arms unto restoration and hopefully salvation. We can debate on that. So here's as I finish looking at the outside. I think I can say concretely, as a believer in Christ, do not judge those outside. That's what Jesus says. Go back to Matthew 7, 1, Timmy. Don't do it. God alone. I might freak some people out. Stop legislating morality, American Christians. It's not your job. What is your job? There is a Christian nation in the world. You understand that, right? It's filled with 280 people, nations, I should say. It's the church. The church is the Christian nation of the world. It goes across every border, every race, every tongue, every socioeconomic thing, and we are to be the nation on earth ushering in the kingdom by God's grace. So inside, yeah, we should have some thoughts about daughter-in-laws and mother-in-laws and sleeping around when they shouldn't. We should probably judge that, amen? That's wrong. Let's help you. But as we judge, what? Matthew 7, 2, Jesus says, if you have to judge, if it's coming to that point, there are times, do so with what? Mercy. I read a blog this week. There was a judge in the Midwest. He passed away. I shared it with some of you, the men's group. You're going to get it again. He was a Christian, but he was a judge. Isn't that hard? He was a judge. He sent people away 
for their crimes. And he passed away, and an ex-convict showed up at his funeral. And as he's coming in, the son didn't recognize him. He said, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so's son. And he said, I'm here to pay respects to your father. And the guy was taken aback, like, wait, what do you mean? And he said, well, he sent me to prison for eight years, taken aback even more. And the prisoner said, your dad, and he was ideologically conservative, he was a conservative Christian, that was his background, your dad was the most gracious and merciful judge I have ever met. And he dealt with me mercifully in the confines of the law of our land. And I'm here to say thank you. What a, what a testimony, right? The guy got it. You, you saw what Paul said, that God's going to let people know that they're wrong if he chooses, right? He's going to deal with people outside the church the way in which he wants to. Inside the church, sometimes we have to make hard decisions. Dealt with a decision a couple years ago as a church, and we handled it with mercy. Didn't go the way we thought, but we handled it with mercy. And the people we're dealing with, they know mercy. They don't know the death blow, right? Let's be that type of nation in this world. Let's be a nation who, when we have to take care of things in our own family, we do so prescribed by the scriptures, led by Christ, and with mercy and grace, but we take care of them. But the outside world folk, we will never make disciples with shame and criticism. We know that, right? We will never grow disciples by shaming them or criticizing them. You, you understand that, right? That's to me, because I used to think you build little youth groups by legalistically, moralistically controlling people and shaming them when they did it wrong. I repent for that. But we make disciples by seeing what Jesus said, by reading the scriptures, by spending time in prayer, which we've learned, by gathering together. Love y'all. Love y'all being here. Amen? It's warm in here now. We're almost done. Yeah, I'm, I'm over one minute. Give me two more. And then walking in step with our expert. And this is our expert. Stand up, sorry. She hates it. Come on, come on. Huh? We gotta go. They're waiting to eat. Come on, come on, come on. Come here. She's walking, right? This is our expert. She gets a little bit out of her lane. Jesus doesn't go, what are you doing? You know what Jesus does? Through the scriptures and through the spirit and through prayer and through brothers and sisters. Hey, come on. Okay, let's hear it for Jessica. Very good. But the point is, when the spirit who convicts us comes, he doesn't do it with criticism and shaming or condemnation. He does it with a turn back to our first love. Forgiveness, mercy, grace. I'm home. Forgive me. The prodigal son makes a big feast. Oh, the brother had anger issues, amen? He started to judge. Didn't work out so well for him, apparently. Why don't you stand? I don't want to ruffle feathers. I want God, stand up if you can. I want God to work on our hearts. We are in a critical time. I'm not going to get political on you. As a church, a big church, a nation, God's nation, we can respond to all the events happening here and around the world by getting out of our lane. <laughs> that doesn't work well. I could just hear the testimonies in the room. Or by pursuing Jesus, taking care of our own house with mercy and grace, 
and being salt and what to this decaying world? Light. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these folks. Bless them and keep them. Shine your face upon them. Be gracious to them, to me, to all of us, all the days of our life. And work on our hearts. Help me and help us be recovering judges, Lord. And help us walk and spread mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.